Hi, and welcome to Deer IQ, where smart hunting begins. I'm Adam Lewis, 20 plus year educator, 30 plus year deer hunter, untastefully seasoned outdoor writer, and I'm here to help you achieve what we all hope for, to be truly greater deer hunters. This is part one in our series, Public Land Hunting Mastery. And asking the question, is public land hunting ruined? Today we're with Dr. Jeff Kelly, an uncommonly successful public land hunter to give his take and what he thinks are the new approaches needed for success on public land, especially in this new ultra-pressured post-COVID landscape. As we start, I want to challenge you to do a couple things. First, download our free journal to use with this podcast. That's really going to help. Second, as you use that, here are the top look-fors or things to look for during this episode. What is Jeff's number one tactic that hasn't changed in 20 years that he thinks is most critical? How does e-scouting need to be looked at differently? What's the Disneyland mentality and Jeff's approach to beating it? And there's a lot more nuggets in there too to pay attention for. And I have a challenge at the end that I believe will truly take your hunting skills up several notches. So make sure to stay and listen for that. And now let's get to the podcast and up your deer IQ. All right, welcome to the Deer IQ podcast. I'm here with Jeff Kelly. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you probably don't know who Jeff is because he's not like a TV personality. He's doesn't have his own YouTube channel. He's not trying to sell something, which I think's even greater. Um, and but he's actually uh, my chiropractor. And so over the past probably I don't know ten years or so. We've exchanged a lot of stories, uh, just deer hunting stories, and come to realize just how good a hunter Jeff is, especially with public land deer hunting. But Jeff, before we jump into this, um, tell us a little bit about yourself so the listener kind of knows uh, your background, some of your just hunting resume, and uh, just what you think is important. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I've been hunting my whole life. Um, um, living in Michigan, it's it's uh, can be a challenge. So uh, you know, about 20 years ago, I decided to tackle the uh, the road trips out of state. So um, I've been public land deer hunting for the past 20 years. Um, I've taken mature whitetail in probably 12 or 13 states throughout the country, um, and it's just kind of my passion to to uh to leave every every fall um and and chase whitetail for 10 or 12 days um in in a lot of the different states um around the midwest so and so you say you've been doing it about 20 years what are some of the different states just to give an idea um you know i i I really stick around the midwest a lot um you know i've i've hunted ohio indiana wisconsin um Illinois, Missouri, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa. Um, but I've also ventured up into the kind of the plains areas and even out west. Um, I've hunted whitetail in, in North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana. Um, so I've, uh, you know, I've, I, I don't really stick to, to one, one place. Um, I've enjoyed hunts in all those states. All of them have their um, you know, their benefits, um, and all of them are, are challenging, uh, especially in today's 
day and age where public land hunting has been more difficult. Um, this year, I, I plan to probably hit maybe Wisconsin, possibly Kansas if I get drawn and, and uh, you know, maybe even Iowa. Gotcha. So pretty wide range in experience yeah. and, yeah. and I can attest, you know, just the consistency at which you've been successful at getting, uh, not just deer, but good bucks in those different short trips really that you've taken year after year. So just to kind of dive into it here, um, public land hunting, you know, is it ruined? And we've seen a lot of challenges, I think the last few years, and I'll call it the post COVID, uh, era really, I think it's changed a lot and you don't have to go very far online, uh, on social media everywhere. And you just hear guys talking about how crowded it is. It used to be, uh, challenging. It used to be something that, you know, a lot of guys shied away from, but now it's almost uh, kind of becoming the opposite. What have you seen change over the last 20 years as far as public land hunting? Um, more pressure. I mean, that's by far the biggest thing. And, it, and it's not even really the last 20 years. I would say, you know, the last five years, um, you know, and I, I do think there's several reasons for it. Um, I mean, a big part of it is, is social media, um, you know, in, in, in YouTube. And, um, I mean, it's, it's being exploited a lot more, um, the public land hunting and not, not that I think that there's anything wrong with that. Um, it's just becoming, you know, more challenging. Um, and I think another part of it is, um, you know, private land access isn't what it used to be either. I mean, I used to, I used to be able to go out to, you know, say Kansas and, and knock on 10 doors and, you know, you're going to get permission out of two or three of them to, to go hunt their property. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of big leasing companies now, national leasing companies. I mean, you don't have to look too far on the internet to find a number of a leasing companies and, and high dollar leases. Um, and I, and I think the outfitting business has also expanded a lot, um, over the years. So the, the days of knocking on, on doors and getting permission, um, on private land is, is a lot different now. Not that it can't be done. I mean, I, you know, you can still do that successfully, but it's, um, it's definitely not, not like it once was. So, um, but public land hunting is still alive and well. Um, there's still a lot of ways to be successful, um, with public land hunting. So. Yeah. And I would agree with that. Just, uh, I actually just recently wrote an article about the public land explosion and just the the causes of it like any explosion you know kind of relating that to uh, even like gunpowder in a gun and you have uh, uh, fuel you have an ignition and you have the confining pressure is what you know really pushes causes the explosion and pushes the bullet out and it's the same way here you know just mentioning the uh, popularity that's risen almost like a fad it's like a feather in your cap to even do it and so that just adds so much to it and so let's dig into then, you know, some of these things that you've done and just 
how you've done that? What are some tactics and things that you have found success with? Um, probably the biggest thing is scouting. Um, you know, it's, that hasn't changed in the last 20 years. Um, I would say I'm scouting different areas than I, I did in the past. Um, you know, it's, everybody knows the well-known areas around the country and, you know, the, the A-list areas, and those aren't really places I, I target anymore. You used to go to some of these more well-known areas and, and you could get away from the people, but um, I've kind of crossed off a lot of those A-list areas and, and going to more of a, what I consider a, the B-list um, because there's still plenty of good mature bucks in a lot of these places that people aren't, you know, that don't necessarily see on YouTube or, or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so the scouting still the most important thing. Um, scouting has changed a ton also. I mean, the, you know, digital scouting is better than it's ever been. Um, and that's where I always start um is with digital scouting um you know whether it be using some of the apps out there topo maps um you know whatever it may be i i try to have a a pretty good idea um before i even go into a new area of the lands i want to check um i have hunt possible hunt locations already marked before i go into a new area um, that way I've done a lot of my homework when at home before I even get into these places. And then it's just a matter of getting your boots on the ground. Um, so, but you know, if I have 15 pieces of property, I want to check, I may have, you know, a bunch of hunt locations I, I want to look at. And then it's just a matter of putting on the miles when you get there. Um, and that's a big part of it. I, I will spend two, three, four days scouting before sometimes I even set up. So, yeah. So to just kind of jump in there. So how much of your time, if you may get a little more detail, how much of your time and what does it uh, really look like when you're doing e-scouting uh, and how much time do you put into that versus boots on the ground scouting? Is it like a 50, 50 thing? Is it, you know, what does that more specifically look like? Um, the e-scouting is, is definitely more time spent than anything. Um, you know, just, especially if you're going into a new area, um, because I mean, you've got to have, I think you have to have a lot of options when you go into a new area. Um, you know, so I, you know, hours spent e-scouting, that's easy to do. You can do it from home. You can do it in your free time. Um, cause I don't take, you know, big, long trips every fall. I mean, my average trip is only maybe 10 days each fall. So the more homework I can do ahead of time cuts down the, the boots on the ground when you get out there. I mean, it doesn't replace it, but it does cut down on a lot of the, the time you need to spend when you, when you go into a new area. Um, you know, the, the fortunate thing is once you've been doing this a while, you have spots where you know you can typically go back to um and you you have to spend less time over the years but initially especially going into a new spot it can be you know very challenging i mean you can you know you might be taking one for the team the the first year you go out there but the second year 
you know, it's, it's a lot easier. How many of those spots, so thinking back through the years and how things have increased with pressure and uh, how easily accessible. So one of the things that I think about is 20 years ago when we didn't have apps and you had to actually get a map like from the county or it was much more difficult to find uh, even just access to maps, let alone just pulling up something on your phone. Um, and now this has kind of leveled the game, I think, for a lot of people. So any any hunter can access the same information fairly easily to eScout, right? And I can see the same things that you see. And it, I think, really increases the ability of everybody to see what was much harder to see years ago, right? So as you get into some of these spots, um, maybe it's, I don't know, a funnel somewhere you've identified on uh, a map and maybe talk about that a little bit, like specific things you're looking for uh, on uh, uh, when you're e-scouting. And as you do that, are you running into more hunter sign now because of maybe the whole app thing bringing other people up to that level? Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a couple of things with that. Um, I mean, with, with everybody being on that playing field of e-scouting, you have to look at the e-scouting even a little different, I think. So, um, I mean, the average person can, can, can pull up an app and, you know, there's, there's going to be, again, what I call those a spots, even when you're digital scouting or e-scouting, and you know those really obvious good funnels big parcels of property um you know that's where the those are where the hunters are going to be too so you know i i i don't necessarily look for those you know those money spots digital scouting because i know there's typically going to be you know a fair amount of pressure there so you know, and, and so I'm looking at more spots that might be overlooked or, um, you know, for example, spots that may not even have a lot of trees on them. Um, you know, I always tell people deer don't live in trees, so you, you don't have to be necessarily hunting big timber. Um, but people, especially if they're new to e-scouting, I think, um, they're drawn to um, specific things and, and, um, you know, they, some things are pretty obvious, um, when you are scouting. And so I'm trying to look at the, the less obvious spots, um, because I think the less obvious spots, uh, you know, that's not where you're going to, you know, find the people as much. So, um, and even harder to access spots. That's, I think a big key. I mean, fortunately there's still a lot of lazy hunters out there. Um, and, and, and that helps. Um, I mean, there's still, most people aren't willing to put in, in the work to get into some of the more, more difficult areas too. So that part's a lot more challenging than it ever has. Um, go ahead. Everybody, every hunter, every person has a lazy bone, right? And so it's really fighting that and how, uh, how many guys will, even if they're kind of trying hard, we'll, we'll get lazy. And so it's, you just have to be way less lazy, um, than you used to be, I guess, uh, and find those even harder to reach spots this past spring, just to go off what you said there. I, 
did some local scouting, you know, uh, spring scouting for spots. And my goal was to go way back in, you know, as far as I could from the road over a mile to like this swampy area that was like, you know, the typical going deep spot. I think that's been the mantra, you know, go deep, get away from the other guys. And on the way there, like a couple hundred yards from road, I found some really good uh, fall sign and even some fresh, like big uh, poop and some big scrapes. And you could tell that no one had, and big rubs, and no one had hunted there at all. And then, so I marked that, you know, and made note of it. And then I got back into the deep spot and uh, there were stands all over the place. Yeah. And it was just like, okay, well, something needs to change in the mentality because yeah, everybody is doing the same thing. And I, I call it like the Disneyland mentality that is this magical place that we've talked about so much on TV and more YouTube and podcast now is that everybody's going there and you get way back in there and you see three canoes or whatever and a bunch of tree stands. And so it's, yeah, like those spots that just don't look huntable. They just don't look like they'd hold deer maybe. Yeah. Um, I think a key that you said there is overlooked areas, not, not going deep. It's not about going deep. It could be. Right. It very well could be, but it's overlooked areas or areas that are so hard to get to that it's almost impossible and you got to find a way. Sure. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things you've done? So I, I know you've told me about some things you do to get where other hunters just won't go. Hi, this is Adam Lewis with DeerIQ.com and this is your High IQ Moment. Do you know the biggest barriers to public land hunting success? Well, our third biggie is relying too much on smart technology. Yes, there are apps that can really help with a wide variety of things, but what this does is make hunters think this e-scouting is all you need to do to find success. You can find good terrain features like funnels and maybe find success at these locations. But the secret is out and everyone else is doing the same things. You're very likely just to find another hunter or stand there, or worse yet, not realize it's been pounded by a mobile hunter and worn out the last few days. Don't think you can replace good old fashioned in-person scouting for what you can see on a screen if you really want to find the best spots away from other hunters. So don't rely too much on your technology because there's so much it doesn't show that you and others are missing. To see all the barriers standing in your way and new solutions to beating them, get our free public land hunting guide filled with new strategies to beat the crowds and still find success. It's linked below, check it out. And if you're getting something out of this podcast, Consider liking, rating it if you're listening, and sharing with a buddy. It's your help that really helps this podcast and channel grow and is greatly appreciated. Okay, and now back to the podcast. Um, what are some of the things you've done? So I, I know you've told me about some things you do to get where other hunters just won't go. What are some of those things that you've done? So you mentioned the overlooked areas so let's talk about that real quick first like overlooked so you mentioned no trees right so do you ground hunt some i do yeah okay yeah i I do um you know i do some ground hunting um you know sometimes you only need one tree you only need a fence a fence row um i mean if you're you're surrounded by 
you know, good terrain around it, you, you don't necessarily need much. And I mean, you mentioned going deep and seeing all these people. I mean, there, there are still ways where you only have to go 200 yards. Um, and, and sometimes what I'll see is there's, there's a barrier between you and that 200 yards, whether it be, um, a deep river, um, where you can park, you only have to go to the other side of that river. It's only 200 yards from the truck, but people aren't crossing that river. Um, I've hunted spots where you're basically parking right next to a cliff. Um, you only need to go 200 yards to the top of that ridge in, in, but there aren't people doing that, you know, so it's not always going deep, but it's just kind of, I guess, being creative about using your terrain and, 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 you know, looking towards those harder to, to reach spots. I mean, yeah, sometimes you have to go deep or you do go deep, but I still see that, that, you know, and you, you mentioned the one mile, it still seems like there is a threshold of around that one mile where it seems to be the cutoff for a lot of people. Um, even for people that want to put in the time and, and, and go deep per se, um, still people have this mental cutoff um, of, of what they really want to do. Right. So. Yeah. It sounds cool when you hear it and you get all excited about it. But then when the rubber meets the road and you are having to pack it in back there, there's this mental barrier of, yeah a certain yeah. point i mean it's a mile ish or so and it can be tough i mean that can be yeah that can be tough i mean i you know some of the spots that i hunt now i i use my bike a lot um but you know even you know i've you know two years ago we had a cold front where i was hunting and i was biking in two or three miles um nobody was around but you're soaking wet by the time you get back in there so now I'm packing extra clothes. I've got to change um, in 15, 10 to 15 degree weather. Um, when I get there, I'm, I'm basically getting in my boxers, changing into all new clothes, um, just because you're going you're gonna to freeze if you don't. Um, and also you're, you're sweating. So um, there's, it's challenging. I mean, but if you're the type of person that likes the challenge, you know, you know that going in. So ground hunting an option for sure. I think there's a lot of areas where guys overlook because they're so thick or there's no trees. So they automatically assume that I've got to get in a tree to hunt. Right. You know, and that's just not the case. And I think that's a huge area that uh, it's tough for hunting on the ground. Um, and I, me personally, I haven't, I've done some of it. I've been doing more and more of it, but I'd rather be in a tree. Sure. But yeah. if, if it comes to being able to actually get on deer that I want to shoot versus not versus just sitting in a tree and not, you've got to start doing some different things, taking some different approaches, uh, to things and what you're doing, uh, being able to put in the extra, being willing to suffer more than the next guy, than everybody else. Um, you mentioned, you know, other hunters and I'm curious about this. So how often do you get to a place and, uh, other hunters kind of uh, the idea of hunting other hunters. So you mm -hmm. look at other hunters 
and you let them tell you where you should be versus just trying to find deer sign. Right. Yeah. That's a huge part of it. Um, because I mean, yeah, you have to, you know, and, and, you know, what I found is even talking to the other hunters helps a ton. Um, you know, when you get back in from hunting and, and there's four trucks in the parking lot, um, most hunters are pretty cool and they want to work with you too, because they want to have the best hunt. Um, you want to have the best hunt. So I've, I've had a lot of helpful hunters over the year and, and even guys that are be like, Hey, no one's in this area. I know there's a tree stand in there. It's a good funnel. I haven't hunted it this year. Um, you know, so most of them, you know, most hunters you want, you run into, they want to work with you um, because it, it does, it benefits everybody, but you do, you have to be able to hunt or, um, you know, almost hunt other hunters, um, especially on our souls that, you know, are heavily hunted. Um, I hunted a spot probably four or five years ago. Um, ever after I harvested my deer, I, I came out and I, I drove the section and there were, there were at least 30 other trucks hunting the same parcel as I was. Um, that's a lot. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate that I did harvest a deer, um, that morning, but, um, I happened to also be in an area where there probably wasn't another guy within maybe a half mile, even though there was, um, you know, even though there was, 25 30 probably other hunters on there so you do have to take into account those other hunters and um you know and and that's where you know determining if if you're going to be a bow hunter a gun hunter um because there's a huge difference in those two um i kind of gave up public land gun hunting a few years back um just for that reason um just the amount of, of hunters on, on public land during gun hunting. Um, and I, I really just bow hunt it now. And I've found that, you know, that's a lot more rewarding now than trying to tackle some of the public land during the gun hunts. So, yeah, I can get pretty crazy. One thing, yeah. Talking about hunter density, right? So you mentioned that while there 30 other guys or whatever in that one block you were hunting, um, what what do you think from your experience just as far as like if i see some guys over here hunting how much uh padding i guess do you feel you need as a bow hunter uh, to still be in good deer from other hunters is it a few hundred yards is it a quarter of a mile what have what have you have you observed anything with that like what you are really looking for i mean that really just i think depends on the terrain i mean some some areas hunt really big and they're, and they're not that big. Um, and it also depends on the deer movement. I mean, I've, I've had guys come on set up on me within 50 yards. Um, but knowing the history of that spot, I know that the deer got to come by me before they get to them. <laughs> so it's not so much the distance it's, where you're setting up, I think, in, in relation to those, to those other hunters. Um, I mean, you know, I, I was 75 yards from a, um, young Amish kid a couple of years ago. Um, but all the deer were working through me 
before they got to him. So I didn't mind I was 75 yards from him. Um, I mean, I don't like being 75 yards from him. I'd rather be a quarter mile from somebody. But if you're in the right spot and you're only 75 yards, it doesn't really matter. You know, so and, and fortunately, I was he had some friends um, that and I wasn't aware of it. They were doing a push from the from the north end of this property. Um, he was sitting on the south end. I was sitting in the middle. So all those deer that were being pushed were going by me before they even got to the guy that was intended to, to push them to. So I actually, again, was fortunate enough. They pushed a nice buck right into me. Um, I ended up killing it. Um, again, super nice hunters. The guy came up, congratulated me, offered to drag the deer out. So it's, I think where you're hunting or where you're setting up in relation to the people more than it's got to be this huge buffer sometimes. Right. So. Right. And like you said, the terrain, like how open it is maybe. And, yeah. um, certain terrain will just hold more deer better sure. than others. Um, back to the access, I'm curious about, you know, you have a spot you want to get back into. Let's say it is that deep spot or it's just really, really hard to get to. It's not only overlooked, it's just really hard to get to. What kind of access, um, do you use or are you looking for? And as far as the time and effort into planning that access, I know that can be a huge, huge make or break thing. Like, um, for example, when I'm hunting around here in public, when I first started hunting, uh, probably about 12, 13 years ago in public a lot, I really struggled with the, okay, I want to go way back into the spot, but getting back in there, I probably ruined most of my hunts, right? It was sure, just sure. so difficult. So maybe talk a little bit about like, what are some good ways to get access to these really hard access or hard to access areas without screwing it up, you know, right, and right. still have a several days worth of good hunting. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of things with that. Um, I mean, sometimes it's just boots on the ground. You don't have any choice. There's no good water access. There's, there's no good trails and yeah, you're going to bump deer. Um, you know, and it's just a matter of, you know, sometimes going for it. Um, you know, one thing I've used over the years is, and it, I think it's still very accessible, you know, using this tactic um, is sometimes using private ground to get into the public ground. Um, I've done that a lot over the years. There's a lot of landowners that still um, will maybe let you cross their farm field to get to public land, um, you know, and you're not hunting, you know, their land per se. Um, you know, and I, I especially find this with bow hunting. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to a number of guys that, um, Hey, you know, I'm trying to get to that spot of public. You mind if I just park here and walk across your field? Um, and you know, a lot of times the answer is still, yes. Um, my family does gun hunt a, a lot. You know, I, I don't want you doing that, you know, then, but if you're just going to cross, you know, my 200 yard field to go do some bow hunting, go for it. So using public or private land access to get into public, that's still doable. Um, you know, but also being creative. Um, I mean, I rarely leave home now without 
a pedal bike, an electric bike, and a boat. Um, last year, I took all three of those with me. So, you know, the, the electric bikes, I have mixed feelings about those um, because they are letting some of those lazy people back into some good spots. You know, so spots that I used to pedal into, you know, where I wouldn't see anybody. I saw my first person last year on an electric bike back there. Um, so um, I was back there with my electric bike last year also. You weren't sweating either, were you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, but there's still a lot of spots in a lot of states that have regulations on the e-bikes um, where you can't do that. So, and even in the same state, what I have found is, there's some public land areas, whether it be a walk-in or a, a wildlife management area, that they can still have their own rules also. Um, one WMA may say um, pedal bikes only. The next one might say you're allowed to use an electric bike. So I will typically bring both. Um, last year I, I pedaled in, I e-biked in. Um, I always usually carry a blow-up kayak um, along with a motorboat. Um, because you never know when you're gonna, you know, need something like that. Um, you know, for example, a spot I did hunt last year, um, I actually used a pedal bike to get in a ways, um, carried waders and a blow up kayak with me. So fortunately there was kind of a drought in that area. I was able to get across, um, you know, in, in waders. But I also had a blow-up kayak in the trailer behind my pedal bike that I biked all the way in there because I'd never been to the spot before. Um, so you've got to be, I think, creative. Um, and if you really want to get into a spot, there's ways typically to get into it. I haven't done the helicopter thing yet, um, but people do that. Uh, people, there's a lot of land, especially out west, you know, Wyoming, uh, Wyoming, Montana, stuff like that, where there's these checkerboard parcels of public. Um, guys are really creative. There's guys that, you know, they'll, they're, they're taking a helicopter in and, and, and going into some of these spots now. So if you want to get there, there's ways you just got to be creative. So. Yeah. What I'm hearing is having so much in your arsenal, you can pretty much do whatever you want with whatever you find and not being like stuck saying, oh, I wish I had this to get into the spot. Yep. And also having that being more willing to than the next guy to do what it takes to get there. Because I don't know how many guys would not only ride a bike back in somewhere, but also have waders packed and have an inflatable kayak that when they get back there, they're going to inflate a kayak, put all their junk in it, their gear, their bow, go across the river, you know, and then have to do that all again to get back across and then do that multiple days. Like that becomes a lot of work. And that is what, you know, it kind of discourages guys of doing, uh, that you have to have the guts to just to do it and be willing to do that hard work. And enjoy it. You know, some people actually, enjoy yeah, some people enjoy misery, <laughs> um, especially when it can be rewarding. You know, if, if, if misery is rewarding at times, it does, it, it does, you know, make it worth it, you know, and, and like you said, having that stuff in your arsenal, I think that's a big part of it. Um, not that you're even going to use it. Um, I hauled around a blow up kayak. I hauled around one of my truck for five years and it never moved from the bed of my pickup truck, you know, but I had it 
Um, I mean, I'm not going to drive a thousand miles home to go grab one or try to find a Walmart. I mean, it, it doesn't take up much room. It goes in my truck every year. Um, I rarely ever use it, but it's there. So yeah, if that one time you need it, you want to be able to have it. You know, yeah, you don't yeah. want it to be the thing that kept you from having a better chance at something. Before the show, we had you take uh, the Deer IQ test, and that's something that everybody can take. It's on the website, um, and it's just a simple 10-question test. It's kind of fun, and it's not really saying uh, a ton about you, but it's a fun thing. It's challenging, um, and so when we come back here, we're going to look at uh, talk about your score a bit. So uh, I'm, I might have to preface something before you actually talk about my score. um go ahead everybody take the iq test it's pretty cool um and it is challenging um but read the questions carefully my my score didn't necessarily reflect um you know a couple things read the questions carefully read in and and do a little bit just don't uh don't think you're gonna know the answer put down the answer and move on to the next one right right you can't (laughs) cheat though so right So, as we wrap up, here are the high IQ takeaways and challenges. First, analyze if you have a Disneyland mentality and what you can do to change this. Second, analyze your accessibility options and tools like Jeff mentioned and what you can do to up your game in that area. And third, take the Dear IQ test so you can compare your score to Jeff's, which will be revealed in the next episode. You won't want to miss it. I'll see you then.